Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John, that you may believe you must be born again. The original date of this message was the 30th of October, 2022. Well, good morning. And it is a pleasure to gather together this morning for no other purpose but to be reminded of what we just sang about, huh? That the Lord is our salvation. That there is salvation not found outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we are going to see oh so clearly this morning as we continue through the the gospel of John that you and I might believe. That is the purpose for John writing his gospel. That is why God has given us the gospel of John. To grow our faith in him, if we are indeed saved, and if we are not saved, that we might place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, what we are going to see oh so clearly is Jesus meets with Nicodemus. Is that Jesus is so full of grace and so full of truth and so ready and willing to meet and to peer down into the heart of Nicodemus and to share with him the truth that will indeed change him forever. The truth that will change you forever. And what I've entitled the sermon, You Must Be Born Again. Before we open in John chapter 3, if you could turn with me to John chapter 1, I want to start off in verses 9 to 13 this morning. As what we see in the gospel of John and why it is so sweet to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter in a biblical exposition, preaching through an entire gospel or an entire book of the Bible is, is what we see time and time again is the truths that are presented are laid on top of each other and built on and supported. And that is what we're going to see this morning. As what is presented by the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 3 has actually already been presented to us. Look here with me at, at John chapter 1 verses 6 or I'm sorry, 9 to 13. As John starts again his gospel, he wants to elevate Christ, show that he is preeminent, that he is above and over all, that he is indeed God, that he is the word, that he was there in the beginning, but he has no beginning, that he created all things, all things came into their existence through him, and that he is the light. And we're going to see that this morning as he shines so brightly onto Nicodemus. And my prayer is that he would do the same in each one of our hearts this morning. That as his word is opened and as his word is proclaimed and and preached, that the light of his word, the truth of his word, would shine deeply into the inner recesses of each one of our hearts and that we would leave here changed and different with a better perspective on the glorious gospel and all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done in making a way for us to be born again. Verse nine, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and those who are his own did not receive him. We're going to see that this morning. And then look at this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So the way by which we become children of God is through believing in Jesus Christ. And if we believe in him, what happens? Verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This idea of being born again was presented to us earlier on in verse 13. That is indeed what must happen. But it doesn't happen by our own imagination, by our own struggling with the flesh, trying to do what is right, by coming to church, by doing all of these things. It happens through the will of God. As we're going to see, it happens through the Holy Spirit. Now turn with me to chapter 2 as well. And this is where we left off our time last week. And I really believe that, that the last following verses of, of John chapter 2 are to be included in what we see in Nicodemus and his whole encounter this particular night with Jesus. It's a lead-in. Why? Because Nicodemus is presented to us much like those that we see in verses 23 to 25 who behold Jesus and all of his wonder and his glory and the signs, the miraculous signs that he does, and they so-called believe. Oh, it looks like they believe. And to our eyes and to what we see on the outside, oh, we would think these are indeed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we hear many, many people saying, oh, yes, I have been born again. You see it in Hollywood. You see it in presidents of the United States. And then what you see is we we see a life that doesn't reflect that born again. And we see it in sports, and it's not just in this manifestation of saying, oh, yes, I'm a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but now it's been nuanced. This word doesn't mean what it has always meant. It's been hijacked. And now it's used in the world of sports for describing someone who had kind of fallen flat a little bit in their career. And now they're having a resurgence, even in the age of 30 or 35, and, and they're playing better than they've ever played before. And they'd say, oh, look, he's been born again. That is not what we're going to see this morning. What we're going to see is something, oh, so much greater, something that is needed by us all. But look at what we see in verses 23 to 25, and then I'll just keep on going. Now when he was, he, speaking of Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. It was based all upon what they saw him doing as the miracle man, not as their savior. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man, just as he knows what is in this Pharisee Nicodemus. And Jesus in his grace is more than willing to sit down with Nicodemus on this night and to give him the keys, so to speak, to the heavenly kingdom, to God's kingdom, and let Nicodemus know, hey, you are all wrong. You're not going to do this by your own self-effort. You're not going to do this as you have been living your entire life as a Pharisee. You know, the problem with us is we think that we're pretty good. 
We all do. And, and we think that, oh, maybe if we could just kind of change our hearts a little bit, then, then, then God would accept us. That if we could have just some sort of make, makeover, that would be enough. We believe that we're not fully dead, that we're not fully separated from God, and that we could perhaps meet him halfway. And what we are going to see this morning is there, that is so far from the truth. We need something outside of ourselves. There is no possible way for us to change as the Lord wants us to change in order for us to become born again. We need his grace given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what Nicodemus needed. It's what we needed. So carrying on, I believe in the same context that now here's a man. You want an example of, of those who believed in Jesus and his signs but were indeed not saved? Here's one. Here's one at the top of the list who everybody would look at and go, oh, look, it, he's a Pharisee who's now saved. And yet Jesus is going to reveal to us that he is indeed not saved. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Oh, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. I know that many of us have heard this in whole encounter probably heard many, many sermons on this again and again and again. But I pray that the Lord would allow our hearts to be receptive in a new way this morning. That he somehow, through his wonderful grace, would give you something this morning, some jewel of truth that you'd be able to take with you from here and you would be able to leave just so excited about what he has done on your behalf through being born again. And if you have not been born again, that the Lord would use this time now in his word to open your eyes and allow you to see your need to be born again. But that is a tough ask on both sides. And in order for that to happen, I have to get out of the way. And the Holy Spirit has to take over and use his word. So, so let me pray <laughs> for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the example of you, Lord Jesus, how you again and again, as we have seen just in the first two chapters of the gospel of John already, how loving and gracious you are, how you desire that all would be saved, how you never turn someone back, how you continually reach out 
to those around you, to those that come and seek you, even to those who aren't seeking you, you reach out. Lord, we pray this morning that your word would go forth in the power of your spirit, not in the power of Jason, that you would use your word to drill down deep into all of our hearts. I thank you for what you've already taught me. I thank you that your word never grows old. I thank you that your word is eternal. I thank you that you are eternal and that you hold the, the keys to eternal life. So teach us this morning what you would have for us on this topic, this understanding that you have given to us and speaking truth to us that we must be born again. And I pray that any that are not born again this morning would become born again and through our time in your word now and them believing in you and you alone as their savior. For it is such a blessing that you have made yourself known, Lord. So honor our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in seminary, I learned what biblical interpretation and hermeneutics, which is basically the study of the Bible, how you come to God's word and you understand what is being emphasized and how you basically dig into God's word and pull out the nuggets and then all of a sudden you'll see some, it's not just a small nugget, this is the main part of this particular passage of scripture. And a lot of times how you can help come to that point is you follow the verbs. You look to see what is happening at the verb level of all that is happening. Other times, and you bleed this in as well, you look at context. You don't want to take something out of context, and it's so good to walk through the Gospel of John knowing what we've already looked at and how that feeds into what we're going to look at this morning. Third is this, repetition. If you see a repeated word or phrase, you're supposed to take notice. And you're supposed to understand, oh man, this is what they're trying to get at. This is what God wants to communicate to us. And can you see in verses 3 to 8 what is repeated over and over and over again? There is a verb that keeps coming. And it is a verb that all of us know about. It's a verb that all of us live in the reality of this, but we don't consider it. We don't think about it. And even in our Christian circles, we throw out the word, oh, born again, born again, born again, but we don't truly grasp the significance of it. At least I don't. It was a breath of fresh air to dig into this passage all week long. Look at verse three. The, the word, the verb I'm talking about is born. Born. Born, you see it some eight times in three to eight in just six verses. You see it eight times over and over again. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's verse three. Verse four, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be what? Born, can he? And Jesus answered, unless one is born of water, verse five. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed I said this to you. You must be born again. Verse 7. And then finally, verse 8. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. 
there's obviously something very important about being born again. Yes, being born the first time, physically being born is important. Might I say it this way? There is life in the womb before birth. For sure there is life in the womb before birth. Amen. Let us uphold that. Let us fight for that. Let us vote against that. But listen to this. But birth is the gateway to life. God didn't intend us to stay in the womb forever. We're supposed to come out and be birthed and then live life and come to know him as Lord and Savior. And he's giving us this, this picture of, okay, yes, this, this physical birth is important, but there is something that is much, much more significant. Nicodemus, you must understand this. Look, I desire that you would be saved. You, a teacher of Israel that has missed everything regarding truth, I want you to get this. He wants all of us this morning to get this. So what we're going to see this morning is the problem with Nicodemus that we all have and the solution for Nicodemus, which we all need. Same problem, same solution. The problem that Nicodemus has is our problem and the solution that was given to Nicodemus is the solution for us all. I know it's a very simplistic outline, but it represents just such complete and utter. What would I say? Crazy grace. Isn't it? To think that the Lord provides us with an opportunity to be saved outside of ourselves in a spiritual sense that we don't even grasp and can see the, the full significance of until we see him. That now what we see is really through the eyes of faith. But one day those eyes of faith will be exchanged. Because do you recognize that, that your heart isn't just a little bit black with sin? That you're not just a little bit dead? No, you are fully dead and your heart, no, it is completely dead. It is lifeless. It is a rock. And through this, this new birth, this being born again, what God does is something amazing. And that's what we're going to see. And that's what Jesus wants Nicodemus and wants us all to understand this morning. What that looks like. And then what is the problem that is presented to us in these first four verses? It is this. You cannot. No, you may not. You never will. No one ever has. No one ever will. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. There will not be a person joining in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, who is not born again. You say, well, Pastor Jason, what about Old Testament saints? I say, yes, they are exactly the same. Because God is a holy God, and we are not. And in order for us to join him, something has to change. That is, we have to become holy. We have to become new. We have to be born again. So our problem, all of our problems is this, that we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without being born Again, we see this in the life of Nicodemus. 
As, as we look at the first couple verses, we see that, that he is described for us in a way that gives us insight to the kind of man he was. And in this, this should remind us of each of us to a certain extent in different levels. First, what do we see? We see that he was a religious person. He's a Pharisee. This means that he's the elite of the elites. Religious-wise, he's like a superhero of the, the Jewish faith. Of the Jews. Everybody looked at him as what? As, as the superhero. Do you recognize there was only 6,000 of these men? And they went to school and they, and they basically joined a club. And they, and they said an oath. And he had to say an oath with three witnesses there. And your oath was, I will never stop as long as I live, living up to the law. Abiding by everything in the law to a T. I won't miss a thing. But it was more than that. It's more than the 613 laws given in God's word in the Old Testament. Because they looked at those laws and they said, oh, they're, they're not descriptive enough. And so what we need to do is we need to add more. What do you mean just don't work on the Sabbath? No, we want to define what work is. And so then they added all of this extra man-made laws and regulations onto God's law. And that's called the Mishnah. And do you know what Pharisees did? They lived up to that as well. So we're talking about a, about a man who, as you look at him religiously, you would say that he is like the Apostle Paul. He is clean. He would look all the part for a man who is definitely going to heaven. And Jesus says, no, you are not. Secondly, what we see is he is wealthy. He's rich. This would be something else that we would ascribe to and say, oh man, once you have that, you're good. And he's religious, he's wealthy, what else does he need? How do we know he's wealthy? Well, we'll see when we get to John chapter 19, verse 39, where, where Jesus' body is going to be laid in the tomb. And he comes with some 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Why? To anoint his body so it wouldn't decay and smell. You, you just don't get that amount without having some resources, some serious resources. So he's a wealthy man. That speaks to the influence that, that he has. That speaks to his education because you don't get educated without having some sort of wealth behind you. And all of this is, is who Nicodemus is, but there's more. He's also what? A ruler of the Jews. This puts him in a, even a, in a, a, a much less populated category of the Pharisees. This puts him as a member of the Sanhedrin. There's only 70 of them. So of the 6,000, he's, he's one of 70. And we know the Sadducees were in there as well. So we're talking about a man who is a leader of leaders. And some believe that he was the leader in Jerusalem. We're talking about a man who has much clout and prestige. That seems religious as religious can be. It seems like he's had everything going. And then we see even more. We see he's respectable. We see that he's searching. He comes to Jesus. Just the fact that he comes to Jesus is something we should pull back and go, wow, this is not normal. He's searching. 
He understands that there is some truth to the fact that Jesus must be what? From God in some aspect. Because he couldn't do the things that he does unless God's with him. He's respectable. He calls Jesus rabbi. But then we start to see some things that, that aren't so good. If he was really seeking to follow Jesus, why wouldn't he come during the day? No, he's still on the fence. Perhaps that's you this morning. And I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. Well, stay with us. Nicodemus was walking the fence, not certain exactly what, was, what he should do. But he knew that if he came forward in the day that everybody would know, oh man, look at he's talking with Jesus. That would have some terrible effects upon Nicodemus. So he comes at night out of what? Caution. But it was understood by the rabbis that if you really wanted to learn, the time when you would go to a rabbi wasn't during the day because it was always hot and it was always loud. And so there were so many distractions. Rabbi said, hey, if you want to learn, come to me when? At night. So I would say he's teachable. But I would also say he's wrong. He only sees Jesus as a teacher. And then he says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless what? God is with him. That is not who Jesus is. That's who many prophets are. God was with them. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. Not God is with him like this. No, God with us. This is God incarnate. This is not just God working in and through him. This is God. So in essence, Nicodemus had no idea who he was talking to that night. And yet look at the gracious way that Jesus responds. He gets his attention by saying, amen, amen, truly, truly to him. Two times. Hey, I'm going to tell you something of utmost significance. Listen to me now. Follow me. Hear what I'm saying. Eat what I'm saying. Listen, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus respond like this? Because he is like those in 23 to 25. Jesus knows his heart. He knows his mind. He knows what he's trusting in. And he's trusting in himself. He needs to be reborn. He needs to be changed completely. He needs a transformation. He is on the wrong side of belief. Oh, he believes, but he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior. He believes in him as a miracle man. That's not enough. You must believe in him as Savior, your Savior. Not your parents' Savior, not your neighbor's Savior, your Savior. And that is what Jesus is getting at. But he's also on the wrong side of righteousness. He's on the self side of righteousness. It's all about me and what I can attain. He believes that he can earn his standing before God on his own. Through his own merit, through his own works. He believes that God is pleased with him because of all that he does. All the laws that he keeps. I believe this is put on display in the way that Nicodemus responds. 
Do you see how Nicodemus responds in verse 4 and how it's a reveal of who Nicodemus was trusting in and who Nicodemus continually put on at center stage or the main subject or the main actor in his life? Was it God or was it Nicodemus? I present to you it is not God. It is Nicodemus. That's what Pharisees do. Perhaps that's you this morning. Notice the way Nicodemus responds. And again, I I don't know how fast does he respond. Does he hear Jesus and immediately respond and he just knows exactly how he's going to respond? It's really peculiar to me in the way that he responds, but look at how he says it. How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time. So who's doing the entering? He is. Into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Hey, this, this rebirth thing, it's all about me. I'm the center. It's what I do. So Jesus, how do I do this? How, how do I become reborn? Do you, do you think that he's that ignorant and that uneducated that he would say, oh, yes, yes, or that he's being sarcastic to Jesus? No. You see, this idea of being born again is not a new concept for the Jews. The rabbis at this time, and this could have included Nicodemus himself, if somebody from the outside, from a different religion, a different culture, a different country, believed in Yahweh and wanted to join Judaism and follow the Jewish faith and become a proselyte, do you know how they would be described? Quote, a proselyte who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child, end quote. It was understood. So I think what Nicodemus is revealing to us all isn't that he was pushing against the idea. He just didn't understand how this was going to happen. His whole life, he'd been living by his own self-effort and by his own self-righteousness. He thought it was all about human effort. And now he was going to add this onto his already long list of what he'd done before. Okay, well, then you just tell me how I need to be born again, how I can be born again. And in that, Nicodemus misses it because Jesus is letting him know very emphatically, it's not anything that you can do. There's nothing you can do to earn this, Nicodemus. Which kept coming back to me this week. Perhaps you share some of my tendencies. Do you act as though you have to earn it? That you have to earn God's favor in all that you do. And that somehow... Okay, salvation, no, but sanctification, well, yes, and, and, but, it's, but it's much more me than God. Really? No, it's his power in you. It's in our weakness that he is made strong. Notice how Nicodemus' response really doesn't say anything about the born again that Jesus talked about. He doesn't bring that up. He, he again just goes to one particular perspective. I believe that's because he was short-sighted in what Jesus is saying to him. 
This word translated born again is translated other scriptures and, and other translations born anew. And it has three different nuanced meanings that I believe are all wrapped up in what Jesus is saying here. First, the meaning is to go back to a beginning point. From the beginning, to be radically changed. Second, it, it, it means in the sense of happening a second time. Again. And finally, it has this nuanced meaning of being from above, from God. That's why some translations say instead of being born again, to be born from above. What does that do? That places God in the driver's seat. So if you take all three meanings and you put them together, you get this. To be born again is to be born anew in such a way that a radical change takes place. It involves the soul and the nature being born again a second time. And finally, the entire process is from God and happens not through our human achievement, but through the wonderful working of God's grace and power in the Holy Spirit as, or through the Holy Spirit as we'll see. It's, it's such an encouragement to, to have the Manabogs here, at least some of them, this morning. I believe that, that what Larissa went through this week is a, at least in some part a good picture of what Jesus is pointing to here. As she had a transplant, a kidney transplant, this was something that what Larissa couldn't do herself. She needed help. And do you recognize that, that with the transplant of the kidney, what happens to the old kidney? I think many of us believed, oh, well, they take it out. No, that is not what happens. They leave it in there. And then what happens to it? It shrivels up. What, what we tend to think is that we just need some sort of makeover. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you don't need a makeover. You need to be completely changed. You need to come out all over again. You need to be in a place where you can start anew with what? With new thoughts with new desires with a new disposition with a new heart you need everything new because do you know what sin did to you sin wrecked all of you wrecked you so bad that you know what you're not even going to see the full totality of what salvation looks like until you're with me and I'm going to go ahead and change you now. I'm not just going to transform or change or, or, or take your heart and then make it my. No, I'm going to give you a brand new heart. And this disposition that you have, this flesh of yours, this humanness, this human flesh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a new disposition so that your desires are matching with my desires so that when you worship me, you worship me as I intended for you to worship me without this sin. coming in and changing everything and making it impossible for you to do that. Why? Because you're a flesh, which is where he will go later. A new soul, one that then beats for the Lord as far as our new hearts go and all that that entails. 
I believe that, that Nicodemus got more than we give him credit for. Could it be that Nicodemus, I mean, come on, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He, he could have been no doubt disgraced, kicked out of the Sanhedrin, all sorts of other things. No, I think he gets it. And I think it's Jesus' response to him that Nicodemus, perhaps he, he longed for to change. Perhaps he'd been doing it by his own strength for so long and watching all the other Pharisees do it in their strength and still having miserable lives that he said, man, there's got to be something more. But I don't understand what you mean. You see, I'm old and I'm already set in my ways and, and you really expect me to change now? To flip on a dime? Well, you can't teach this cattle. Old cat new tricks. I'm set in my ways. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. It's not about you. It's what I'm going to do in you. And how I'm going to transform you. How I'm going to change you. How I am going to make you new. And so that when I'm done, what you used to think about before, what you used to live for before, the desires that you had before, they are going to be changed. And now your desires, what you live for, is going to be in line with me. And you're going to do things that you never would have thought you'd do all because of what I'm doing in and through you. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I believe that many people have this heart's cry. What I'm doing now doesn't work. I've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and my life is just miserable. I believe others say, well, I've done so many bad things, there's no way that Jesus would accept me. And Jesus says, are you kidding me? Those are the only ones I do take. For there's nobody on this creation that I've ever created that was perfect other than me. And all are sinners. And all need my grace. And all need this, the solution, which is what we see in verses five to eight. And here is the solution. Only the Holy Spirit can cause you to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit can cause you to be born again. You can't do anything to make yourself be born again. Just like you can't make yourself be born to your own parents physically. It's understood in, in, in this example and what he uses. Who of us said, oh yes, mom, can you please have me? May 20th, 1969. That, that's when I want to be born. And I want it to happen in Torrance, California, Little Company and Mary. In the same exact way, that's what Jesus' whole point is. Hey, this doesn't have anything to do with you. The Holy Spirit will do it. What do you bring to the table? You bring faith. And you trust me that I will get you there. Because you can't get there by yourself. And if there's any time where any of you should say, amen, it's right there. Because that is grace at its definition. God doing what we can't do for ourselves and blessing us. So the solution, only the Holy Spirit can cause you to be born again. Look at what Jesus says in, in verse 5 in his answer to Nicodemus. He again goes back to being born again. But this time he clarifies, qualifies, lets us know exactly what the instrument is that is used in this new birth. 
There's only one thing that can do this. And it's not in our makeup to do this. So that's how we know that it's nothing that we can do because it says it's the Spirit. And I want you to notice the difference between a capital S Spirit, which is designating the Holy Spirit, and a small s Spirit, which is designating your Spirit and my Spirit. When we become believers and we are born again, God even takes our little s Spirit and makes it new. Everything about us our disposition, our nature matches it more with him. Not that we become him, but now we're aligned to where we can truly worship him in spirit and truth. You can't do that if you're not born again. Oh, you can fake it. You can come here Sunday after Sunday and you can sing with us and you can get emotionally ramped up if you like the songs or you think that Pastor Jason has cool stories or, or whatever. But the reality is the only way that you truly can worship is if you've been born again. And so Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice he uses this, it would look like an equative or maybe a point of contrast saying the water and the spirit. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, since it has one preposition, it's pointing to both of them as kind of one. We're we're not supposed to look at them separately, but we're not supposed to look at the water as more important than it really is because what is being identified as the instrument and what allows us to be changed and to be born again is indeed the Holy Spirit. Is water significant? Yes. What does the water represent? Well, it could represent all sorts of things. It could represent baptism, such as the baptism of John the Baptist, or such as the baptism of Jesus. But, but we know from chapter 1 that as John the Baptist is introduced, he's given as a point of contrast between the baptism of, Je- of John that is done with water and the one that will follow that is what? The baptism of Jesus, which is baptism of the Spirit, showing that the baptism of the Spirit is much greater because of what it can do. The one was pointing forward to the other. So in this, we must understand that that the water is only to be understood in its relationship with the Holy Spirit in this context. That the Holy Spirit is the agent that brings us new birth. So what I could say is it this way. Water is in a sense waiting for the Spirit to come and to give it its significance and its meaning. This is just what we understand with water baptism. Water baptism doesn't save anyone. What is it? It's a picture of what? The new birth that you are dead when, you're under, when you go under that water. And when you come up, what are you? You are new. You have what? You have been born again. But you haven't been born again by that water. That water doesn't do anything but get you wet. And maybe if you're in Papua New Guinea, it might actually get you dirty. But it doesn't save you. It doesn't change you. It doesn't even cleanse you. Because the cleansing that we are looking at in Scripture is talking about a forgiveness kind of cleansing. That doesn't happen through water. That only happens through the Holy Spirit. But water signifies that kind of cleansing. So you can't take the Holy Spirit away. You must interpret this in light of the Holy Spirit and the picture that is given for us through 
the washing of the water, which also in Ephesians talks about the word. So praise the Lord for him giving this to us, clearly letting Nicodemus and all of us know, hey, this is how this happens. Nicodemus, you say, oh, and and just perhaps, oh, do I need to jump back into my mom's belly? No, this happens through the Holy Spirit. This happens through the word of God. This happens through conviction. This happens through the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you hear the gospel and you respond, that's when the Holy Spirit steps in and he changes us and he rebirths us. That doesn't sound right. He makes us born again. If the Spirit doesn't quicken us, we do not respond. Why? Because we're lifeless, we're dead, we have these rock-solid hearts. And if the Spirit doesn't illuminate our minds, we don't understand. If the Spirit isn't here this morning, then I might as well close the Bible up and say, let's go eat. Because at least that way you'd get some strength from the food. But instead, we know that the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to strengthen us, to illuminate our minds, to renew our minds. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't birth us spiritually, then we stay dead in our sins and we will be eternally separated from God. Much as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has Passed away, behold, the new has come. Then look at verse 6. That which is born of the, of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is Spirit. What is this? This is like produces like. This goes back to the garden. An apple tree produces what? An apple tree, it can't produce grapes. A cup of coffee isn't going to turn into a burrito even if you just really want it to. Even if you leave that cup of coffee there for months, it's not going to transform into a burrito, even if you see it on YouTube. And a pot, no matter how much you water it, isn't going to turn into a dog. And you aren't going to be born again on your own. That's what Jesus' point is. You must recognize that you're a sinner and repent. You must allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life or else you'll never be born again. Do you think this was difficult for Nicodemus to understand? That's why Jesus says in verse seven, don't be amazed that I said this to you. Why? Because he was amazed. He couldn't put this into his little Pharisee mind. He kept thinking all the time, well, no, this has to be something I do. And Jesus telling him, it's not about you. Watch me. And it'll all become clear when I die upon the cross. You hear about me raising from the dead. Everything will click into place. It is through me that you will receive eternal life, that you will be born again. Notice how he says, you must be born again. Do you think that's a command? that he's telling each one of us here in this room that it is your responsibility to be born again. I'll give you a hint, no. The, the must, that verb is, is not, well, either verb. The born again isn't a command and the must is actually a verb. So there's two verbs attached to each other. I'm hoping this makes sense. <laughs> 
That must verb means it is of certainty or necessary. This must happen. Do you know what the verb is to be, to be born again? That's in the passive sense. That means it happens to you. You don't happen to it. That means someone else is the one that makes you born again. That's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus, that Nicodemus just doesn't understand. But should he? Should he have understood? Yes, he should have. Why? Because God's word is so amazing. And because Nicodemus was a man of the word more than any of us here. He was a man of the word. This is what he did. This is what his life was. The Old Testament scriptures, he had just an insane amount of the Old Testament scripture memorized being a Pharisee. And he would know Ezekiel. We should know Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is so sweet. Why? Because long before Jesus mentions this, in John chapter 3, with Nicodemus, God's word mentions this. And this whole idea of being born again isn't something that just came about in the New Testament with the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. This is something that was given way back in the days of Ezekiel. You could actually go back and I could go to Genesis 3 and and talk about how Satan was going to be what? His head was going to be crushed. He was going to bite the serpent. All of that points to what? The coming redeemer. And all then that points into the fact that you and I must be what? We must be given new hearts because of what happened in the garden. Because sin entered and from that point on, all mankind, because of the federal head, Adam, we are born into sin. And here is the solution given through Ezekiel in chapter 36. And remember, right after this chapter is what? The valley of all the dead bones, where God tells Ezekiel, hey, go and pray over those bones. And what happens? They come to life. What's that a picture of? Being born again only happens as the Spirit of God steps in. Look at, we'll see the same thing here. Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 27. For I will take, from, take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Why is he saying this? Because listen, look at 23. I'll vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Why? Because they were so unfaithful. And so they were a poor testimony of Yahweh. And God says, but I'm not finished with you yet. And God is not finished with the nation of Israel. And one day this will become the reality and he will take them from the nations and he will gather them and then he will do this. Look at verse 25. Then I will sprinkle. Notice when we see the word water, when we see the word spirit, when we see the word heart and new attached to it. For I will, then I will sprinkle clean water on, on you and you will be clean. Remember, water doesn't have anything to it unless the Holy Spirit's involved. And I will cleanse you from, your, from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, small s, within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a, a heart of flesh that beats for me all your days. 
and I will put my capital S spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. He says the same thing to us. We will be with him for all of eternity. And the reality of what he says here, we will know is our reality. Now this is specifically for the nation of Israel and he has a special place for them in the future, bringing them back to him. But we get to join in for all of eternity, praising the Lord, giving him glory and worshiping him. All because why? Because the Holy Spirit has come and made us new, making us born again. But Jesus recognizes just how difficult it is for Nicodemus to understand and follow this. So we see finally in verse 8 that he gives Nicodemus this example, this illustration from his everyday life, something that Nicodemus had seen over and over and over again. Why? To show to him, hey, that's just the way that the Holy Spirit does it in the life of a born-again believer. Look, Nicodemus, you know about the wind. You know you can't see it. You know you can't control it. You know that you really don't even have any knowledge about it. But you can hear it. As it moves over some grass and pulls the grass down, you can see its effect as it gets out of control at times and rips and pulls down a tree. And then Jesus says, and it's exactly the same way with those that are born of the Spirit, born again, as the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms them and makes them new. And now as a result of making them new, this wind that you can see the effects of, you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit in those too, Nicodemus. And you'll be able to see that effect in your own life, Nicodemus. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us new and he gives us the power to honor God as Christ lives in us. Amen? Amen. Points to ponder. Consider this. Consider how Jesus says the work of being born again can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit needed to make a believer born again? How often do you thank God for his work of saving you? Have you done that this week? Do you stop daily and thank him for his gracious work in giving you a new heart and giving you a new birth if you have trusted in him, believed unto him? Because if that is the case, you are new. Does that mean that you never struggle with sin? No, it means you will keep struggling with sin until you are with him in glory but by his grace, he will root out sins and he will give you the power to stand up under whatever kind of suffering and hard times you might be facing. And the hope that we have in the gospel is a hope that is eternal, that never grows old. So let me pray us out as Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. <laughs> For we know that unless you had given us your word, we wouldn't understand what it means to be born again. But because of you, Lord Jesus, and giving us your word, we truly understand the magnitude, the significance, the wonder that you do what our flesh could never do. Because our flesh, our flesh rots. 
Our flesh dies. Our, our flesh is mortal. But the spirit, Lord, we know that, that the spirit is eternal. That the spirit lives on. And so it is only through your spirit, the Holy Spirit, that we can be born again. And we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Guaranteeing our inheritance in the future. And we also thank you for changing us. For allowing us to be born again. And we pray that as you continue to give us new desires that we would walk in the newness of life that we have. Walking in obedience before you all of our days and that all that we do here at Rancho Baptist Church would be to glorify you, make you known, and lift your name high. In Jesus' name, amen.